when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains a content warning for a discussion of Lovecraft, racism, and horror tropes. I'm not keen on mincing words on this one. H.P. Lovecraft was a racist, and before you go making an argument for separating the art from the artist, let's be clear on another point. So are his stories. They encompass other problematic elements too, of course, misogyny, homophobia, right down to their core, right down to the very themes that recur throughout his works, you'll find the hateful perspective he had of the world, the ignorance of someone who viewed anything unlike himself with revulsion. While he drew inspiration from works predating him, what Lovecraft gave to the genre of cosmic horror was his hate, which is now video games' problem. For decades, video games have been regurgitating the themes, plots, and aesthetics of his stories with not one ounce of scrutiny. The half-breed monsters that embody the very essence of Lovecraft's revulsion, the troubled white male heroes that contain his arrogance and his gross simplification of mental illness, are recreated in video games with no subversion, no critical thinking. In doing so, they are breathing life again and again into Lovecraft's hate. At least Bloodborne had the decency to suggest that his protagonist could be the real villain of the story. That was from Sam Greer uh, in a Eurogamer piece entitled, Games Really Need to Fall Out of Love with Lovecraft. I'm Danielle Riendo, and this is Waypoint Radio, episode 199. Joining me today are Natalie Watson. Hello. Patrick Klepik. Hello. And Rob Zachney. Hey, hey. So today we're going to talk about Lovecraftian tropes in games, uh, specifically tropes in games uh, and not necessarily uh, wider Lovecraftian uh, sort of stories, just because this is what uh, I think most of us have the most experience in. Uh, so things like cosmic horror, cultists, the idea of losing one's mind, Cthulhu, and the ways in which these keep showing up in games and why we still have so much of this influence in games when I think everyone knows that Lovecraft was such a virulent racist and i am somewhat inspired to uh attack this topic today because i like patrick and i think rob as well uh, am playing call of cthulhu the new game from cyanide and i am having the experience where i actually really love this game i am having a wonderful time with this game and i'm sort of wrestling with my own issues around lovecraft while i'm playing it it is uh it's something I would call it this game almost like catnip for me. It's very New England horror as well as has all the sort of trappings of a B game, which I love. I love detective games. It's reminding me of Murdered Soul Suspect, which I think is one of the most underrated games of this entire generation. <laughs> <clears throat> it's it's such a fun little sort of goofy uh, New Englandy um, ghost story, and this is just harking right back to a lot of that. Right down to sort of janky stealth gameplay. Uh, and then otherwise, like, really fun stories and really fun sort of world building. So I guess I'm going to open up on that one. Patrick, I know you read a review this week. 
of Call of Cthulhu where you kind of mentioned that it, this is like a bad game that is worth playing and interesting on a lot of levels for sure. Uh, yeah, one thing I would uh, I would push back a little bit on the notion that everyone is aware that Lovecraft is a racist. Like I'm okay. fairly new to I. I didn't read a lot of Lovecraft. Patrick got up. shaken in chat five minutes ago. <laughs> well, <laughs> we we had to tell him about the cat. And the yeah. cat was a well. That's big. So that's what I, I think. A lot of people are familiar with Lovecraft on a osmosis level, um, mm-hmm. in that Lovecraft has infiltrated all sorts of uh, genre fiction. It, it, it is science fiction. It isn't specifically horror. It is, it is all over the place. Like Lovecraft is, is an unavoidable presence. But the, the way I open my review, um, uh, of call of Cthulhu is like that. This review taught me how to spell Cthulhu because it was sort of something that I could say, but I never actually like, written out to a point that I could do it without actually relying on, uh, a, a spelling correction. Sure. Um, there, there were works growing up, um, like uh, the the movie from Beyond and Reanimator, um, which like some of my uh, favorite horror films that I didn't know were based on Lovecraft stories. I um, mean, you know, I grew up sort of on Clyde Barker and Stephen King, and I think there are a lot of people that like you say Cthulhu, they're like, oh yeah, I know, like the big squid monster. Um, maybe you say cosmic horror, and maybe they, but I just don't think a lot of people are actually that familiar with Lovecraft as a person, as a as a writer. I think folks like. Uh, us maybe are a little familiar, but I don't think actually like the larger public who may even know who Lovecraft is by name and is, is aware of his tropes and his influence, not necessarily understanding like the sort of like large shift that has taken in understanding his work and what may have influenced sort of the whole theories behind uh, some of the things that have pro- proven very influential. So just a side note, I would point people towards an essay, the one that like, uh, informed a lot of my better understanding. Um, it's called We Can't Ignore H.P. Lovecraft's White Supremacy um, by Wes House. Uh, it's at a, a, um, a public it's called Literary Hub. It's really easy to find on Google. And we'll kind of walk you through step-by-step both the history and, like, the deep thematic understanding of why Lovecraft is, is fucked for a, a lot of reasons. Um, back to <laughs> your original question <laughs> on the game. Yeah, I, I, I uh, it's... It's an interesting game because how it ties into this broader question of Lovecraft and the work is, uh, you know, the, the art and the artist, blah, 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 blah. Um, a lot of Lovecraftian-influenced video games just choose to not engage. They just they just sort of strip Lovecraft for uh, sort of uh, larger themes and influences and, and kind of just proceed without engaging with the dialogue that has been happening around his work. And Call of Cthulhu does that. Like, this is not a game you should come to expecting it to be like a meta commentary on where people have landed on how to feel about Lovecraft or his work or what created his work. This is a game that's like, yo, it's two in the morning. You're kind of drunk. You're having like that one last beer. And like, what's on sci-fi? And like, what's on sci-fi <laughs> is like a movie, a movie about tentacles. Is this good? Nah. Is it like good enough? Like, hell yes. And, and that's, <laughs> that's really how I felt about Call of Cthulhu. Like, but I remember like struggling when Rob was doing an edit on on my piece. At the end, he like I originally wrote this conclusion that was like so deeply caveated. It was just like me struggling with, okay, I just wrote you know two thousand words. I don't. This is a bad a bad game. I don't know if, if you should play. I don't know if I would recommend you playing it. And I was like I so heavily caveated it, and, and Rob was pushing me to be like, don't you, okay, you. You enjoyed this experience. Like, you're allowed to convey that. You don't have to, like, set up that, like, this is bad and you're, you're, you're trying to forgive yourself for enjoying its badness. Yeah, like, I, I think, um, and this is, some, this is a part of myself I'm trying to get a lot more comfortable, too. 
there are times where actually what you want is something that's only middling, only kind of good. <laughs> like, uh, this is the, you remember at Night in the Woods, the pizza scale? Uh, yeah. described there and like it's like like you know there's great pizza and then in the middle there's this huge bar of like good <laughs> as hell and good as hell is encompasses a lot uh and i think sometimes you just want that good good trash sometimes mm-hmm. you want a game that now because the thing is not everything can be um silent hill 2 not everything can be uh, alien, where you're just operating, like, you're in the hands of, like, master craftsmen, and you are, like, truly caught up in this, and it's almost torment. It's delicious torment. Sometimes you just want something that's like, look, we both know what I'm about to do. We both know <laughs> the story that's going on here, and look, the execution, not gonna lie, it's gonna be fair at best. <laughs> I've got the have you looked at my arm I've got some buttons on it game I want you to just fucking press them I know what <laughs> yep. you're gonna press get up just get up there you're not even gonna press it that hard cause you're not even capable of doing that but just beep 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 and we're okay I am consenting to this this oh, this, this middling relationship that we're going to have that I will forget about a week from now but in this moment it's fine. There's that scene at the start of Cthulhu where, uh, start of Cthulhu, start of Call of Cthulhu, where you're on the wharf, and they're like, "So where's this mansion?" And they're like, "Oh, it's up there." And you turn around, and it's a fucking like broken down mansion, no. like sort of backlit against the sky, and there's a distant like lighthouse, uh, like trying to burn through the fog, and like, it is the most generic, dark and stormy night bullshit. Don't care. In that moment, I'm like. Yeah, this is exactly what I am in the mood for in October of 2018. And maybe November still of uh, yes. 2018, but sometimes you just want that. Yeah. And, and like I said, this this game is like catnip for me, especially with the New England stuff, especially with the bad accents, especially with... Like, I think this is a less competent murdered soul suspect in a, in a lot of ways because I think that game is actually... Actually, pretty competent. That game, also, that game has more ambition, more ambition than yeah. this game does, yeah, right? So sure. I think I think like Murder Soul Suspect, which is one of those games I've always wanted to get around to playing, but is the way you've always described it, the way I've heard other people describe it, is that it has ambitions that it falls short of. I don't know that Call of Cthulhu has <laughs> particularly grand <laughs> ambitions, and, it, and and it's and it's okay with that, and I'm okay yeah. with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's understand. Yeah, that's a good distinction for sure. Um, but there's something so comfortingly schlocky about especially those first scenes. And with the accents, I, I wasn't fully prepared. I mean, Rob, you, you set it up uh, with, with how bad the accents would be. Uh, but as a native New Englander who, who knows the various tinges of New England accent, I could tell you, I could tell a Boston from a Rhode Island, from a New Hampshire, from a Maine, from like an upper, like... Bahaba Maine kind of thing. Like I, I know. Like I have the ear, and absolutely no one involved in this production has ever been to New England. I, I could. Well, okay. I can't say that. I can't say that completely. I can say the accents. Uh, it's like words that end in R might have it, and they might not. And then any other word does not. And there's more. There's more than the ah. To the New England accent, I will just uh, briefly say that. However, this is increasing my enjoyment like tenfold. Yeah, like this is a hundred percent one of those where like 
oh, Jesus Christ, these accents. And I am cracking up and enjoying myself. The only time I've actually been scared while playing this game, and it's a creepy game, there's creepy shit going on, was when a guard glitched through a door oh, and God. the sort of like, gotcha sound effect happened. And I had a jump scare and I scared the shit out of my cat who was like chilling next to me, screamed, <laughs> she screamed, she jumped. It was a whole thing. And I was like, good job, game. You got one. Even though you didn't mean to, you got me. It was, uh, God, it was a, a beautiful moment. Uh, <laughs> I guess one thing I wanted to discuss, uh, it, it, aside from this uh, kind of amazing game in, in itself, is sort of why these tropes are so popular in games. And it's not, it's obviously not just the Cthulhu game called Call of Cthulhu. Eldritch Horror shows up all over the place. Things like cultists and madness and losing one's mind that shows up. Eternal Darkness is a good example of this. Bloodborne is a good example that we'll talk about a little bit more in depth because uh, a lot of folks are, have actually made the point that Bloodborne kind of does complicate some of this stuff on some level. There's a game called Eldritch that was really cool a few years ago that is, uh, you know, 100% sort of taking off in this. And games that are not, you know, directly from this lineage, these are really, really common tropes in games. I think the madness trope is in itself, like, almost omnipresent in a lot of horror games. And I kind of wanted to talk about that. Like, what is it that makes these so popular in terms of, like, oh, this is something you can make a mechanic out of. This is something you can actually put in the systems of the game. I think just to speak to perhaps the, like, the madness trope, I think that does something as a mechanic to to reduce agency or to complicate agency for the player is it seems like a way of, of some of subvert sorry <laughs> of subverting the the normal expectations so I can I can see how that uh, would be interesting um, also seeing you know things not behaving as it just as you would expect them to and and enemies that were once um a certain way seeing their change in a way that is unpredictable or or something like that i think that sort of lends itself to a sort of breaking the um not necessarily monop monotony but the um preparedness or the hmm. uh muscle memory that you get into the into the um um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? When you're doing it a lot, you know, oh, like repetition. Your verbs in a game, like yeah, sure. Repetition. <laughs> it's not repetition. Doing your reps? When you're in the habit of, that's what I was oh, looking yeah, for. Yeah. When you get in the habit and you have like, you know, you're certain. This happened for me with Bloodborne. When um, sp small spoiler for Bloodborne, but at one point in the game, everything changes. <laughs> So that's pretty I, vague. I, we should we, no. Let's go ahead and stipulate we, we're going to spoil this turn in Bloodborne because I don't think we can actually accurately discuss Bloodborne yeah, and its relationship true. with Lovecraft without like. That's true because it, so just it right is now, the turn. You don't skip ahead Bloodborne some spoilers. number of minutes, but but yeah, like you, you can't really just. I want you to be able to talk about yeah. it freely now because like the even just the idea of the revealing of cosmic entities that are hiding in plain sight is yeah. Lovecraftian trope. Yeah. So uh, at one point in the game, after defeating the oh, it's the it's Rom, right? Rom, spider. Rom the spider. Yeah, yeah Rom yeah. the spider. Which like so, destroys uh, the veil or whatever. Exactly. So, well, yeah. So what's interesting is throughout the whole game, um, the game kind of sets itself up as 
very there is something dark and mysterious going on here but it sets itself up to be uh either like uh plague-like or disease-like and uh there's a lot of talk of blood and and so your kind of your expectation is to um is that you know this is some sort of like transmitted parasite almost or a virus or something like that there's a lot of uh, analogies to that um but you slowly come to understand that there is a university which is directly referencing sort of Lovecraftian tropes of of pursuing knowledge and institutions that pursue knowledge and institutions that 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 come across knowledge that they weren't meant to have come across so when you get to Bergenworth, you uh, jump in a lake. Well, <laughs> you do a bunch of shit. <laughs> yes. You do a bunch of shit in the university. Um, you see there's like these specific um, types of en- enemies whose heads are like super large and they're like filled with, with brain knowledge. And when they attack Eyeballs you, and- yeah, and they when they attack you, they like try and suck from your brain so there's a lot of like sort of pursuit of knowledge um symbolism around bergenworth and then you get to the top and uh you jump out this sort of uh landing that's at the at the top of the um house or university or whatever and you jump into a lake and then there's a big spider with a million baby spiders and then you fight that and it's not really clear like okay i'm fighting this and for me, as someone who was like constantly fucking confused as to what was happening in Bloodborne, um, partly because of taking a week or two week breaks in between every time I played it, and also <laughs> because I was so focused on just beating the game that I didn't really care what was happening, even though I should have. Um, after you beat the spider, the world, when you get back to Yarnum, it's like what was cast in cloudy. Uh, a, a palette of cloudy grays is now cast in like oranges and purples and and everything is like super sunsetty but like in a really like galaxy like sort of way like super kind of cause like pictures you see of like the cosmos and things like that are reflected in in the world itself and all the enemies are kind of you you encounter new enemies that have like very space like or like tentacly yeah, there's yeah. tentacles coming out of heads and things like that and so and a lot of them have the uh the, these specific enemies that you come across look like normal people and then tentacles will come out of their heads so it's there's like still the f- sort of facade that they're that they're the shell of like something that once someone that once was and yet they're being possessed or that something inside them has been taken over you didn't do the dlc did you i did not get there no so it's that's interesting because like the in terms of the lovecraftian connection the the dlc the old hunters? has yeah the old hunters has a section that yeah. takes place in a fish harbor um and so like mm-hmm. a one of the big through lines in lovecraft's work especially the cthulhu mythos is you know like the connection to fish and crustaceans and uh there's the, the tentacle stuff as well related to, you know, things like octopus, but Bloodborne doesn't dip into that nearly as much. But when there is a specific section of the game in which you get a lot more of that because it's then more directly related to sort of the conclusion of the story and it gets it inches a little bit closer to like way more explicitly uh, Lovecraftian imagery. Yeah. 
Um, and I was thinking about Bloodborne in in the context of uh, critiquing Lovecraft because there was an article that we read or that I read. Um, spinoff. Yes. Piece. Yes. The spinoff piece. Here it is. Um, which you have right here called um, Challenging the Bigotry of an Icon, How Bloodborne Slyly, Slyly Calls Out H.P. Lovecraft by uh, Dwey Lay. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, Dwey Lay. And what's interesting to me is that I don't think Bloodborne ever treats its institute, or at least it, it never treats its institutions with like, a, a blind trust in them. There's mm. always sort of like a question of doubt, whether it's because of how mysterious they are, how vague they are. Um, if they, if you are confronted with them, there's not a lot of information given to you. And I think there's always sort of a, a motivation to question um, what's going on around you and and who is participating in what around you. Because there's not, there's not. First of all, there's no one you you come into close contact with for a, ver a, a, a majority of the game like the, your your direct interactions with people that are not your enemies are very rare and a lot of the times those people change and those people the next time you see them are your enemy and things like that and so I think there's always a questioning of sort of who who you're supposed to trust and who you're supposed to um like follow and a lot of that game is self sort of navigated, I think. I don't think you, at least for me, I was looking to you in Austin most of the time for what the fuck do I do next? Or you look in, in the objects, you look in the materials, you look in, and, and people will kind of vaguely point you to, to different places, but there's no like quest marker. There's no like, it, it is very much like a self-motivation that, that moves you through. Um. So yeah, I just I wonder what are your yeah I'm, yeah I think the piece makes oh. the case oh go ahead no go ahead, go ahead. You I was gonna say I think the piece does make a good case for complicating a lot of these trips like it, it is drenched in all of these trips it it is reveling in these trips it is just getting drunk on them yeah uh, and having a good ass <laughs> time with body horror and cosmic horror and there's some side quests you can do that are just like impregnation of a lady via wild ridiculous uh, cosmic horror alien stuff and depending on the ending you want to get uh natalie I, I i'll try to be a little vague i guess but uh, no, there's, there's a lot it. of alien influence uh, going on here done. it's <laughs> well oh, i am boy. kind of done because my fucking save is on austin's profile so i can't oh, even fucking play it anymore unless we're playing enough. it at work so <laughs> You've defeated the cosmic horror by not going back to it. But it is, it, it, but the piece does make the case that, like, it's playing with this stuff. It's having fun with this stuff. But it is never uh, just sort of worshipping at its own altar. It is saying this stuff is fucked up. Also, you're fucked up for doing it. There, There is sort of an indictment of the player character uh, for, for even sort of going into this world and doing the things that you're doing. So it does, I think, make a good case for, like, you know, you can have your tropes and also critique them. You can have your tropes and not necessarily just sit there and love them and, and drink upon them. You can also uh, critique yeah. them. Yeah, it's kind of like, who are you to fucking participate in this? Like, right. like the, the way that, that the 
that the characters in the beginning all sort of mock you and and say like you think you you are out here protecting or you think you you think you know what you're doing and i i feel like that is that is what we should be telling ourselves whenever we engage with lovecraft and whenever <laughs> we engage with with lovecraftian uh tropes and concepts and ideas because like we so often and this goes for me too because I had no idea who Lovecraft was but I could tell you what Lovecraftian was um for like the longest time until like probably this year um because I just I just never had an exposure to it and I also didn't really engage with it so often that I was that curious into learning more about uh the history of it um so but I think I think what it's saying is that you know so uh it isn't very often that we are consciously engaging with it because we want to just take the monsters we want to just take the co- the, the the cosmic horror and the and the ideas that are there the the visuals that are there maybe um the the visuals that we've agreed to be good because there are so many fucking visuals in just the week of research that I've been doing and and that we've been doing for this specific podcast that are like so obviously racist like he says yeah. it himself and I don't know you guys can perhaps speak to to some of that that we've uncovered this week yeah, well I wanted to definitely uh, pivot over to Rob a bit because I think of anyone it sounds like you spent you said you had a galaxy brain moment um, while deep into reading. Uh, like I think a lot of us have maybe experienced more Lovecraftian games. It sounds like this week, Rob uh, of the four of us, you spent the most time like in his work. So I'm just curious, like, you know, what was your galaxy brain moment? Th- was it three essays and two pieces into <laughs> to yeah. Lovecraft? No, it was. Um, uh, I was I, I was mostly joking, but I think there is something <laughs> that. Lovecraft taps into very successfully, uh, which is that New England is kind of a spooky place, always has been. I mean, Ichabod yeah. Crane, all, you know, all that stuff. Like, this this goes back uh, pr- pretty far. But with Lovecraft, his writing is has a specificity of vision that I think is important to look at. What Lovecraft is depicting, in a lot of cases, is this idea that there are forgotten places and corners in society that have sort of been left to rot and decline. And you have seen a lot of this in New England uh, at this time. Because, like, New England is full of towns that were really big during, like, the early stages of, like, the first Industrial Revolution. So a lot of, like, water-powered mill towns that crop up in, like, the 1840s. And, like, by the 1860s, 1870s, they're basically like dried up like they've crashed they've cratered and so whatever prosperity they had whatever boom they had is already well in the past and by the 1920s a lot of these places are becoming like truly like dilapidated um and that is one of the things that he is writing a great deal about which is this idea that you know even in even in the roaring 20s uh, even in times of, like great prosperity and like technological progress, um, there are places in the world, uh, but even more particularly, like there are specific places and like corners in uh, like the United States that like if you go down the wrong road and you stop in the wrong town, 
you'll come to places that are just deeply creepy and unsettling. And I think what's appealing about that is that it speaks to... Lovecraft is pushing back against uh, the myth of progress in a lot of ways. Like, he's speaking to anxieties and fears and, uh, you know, concerns that are real. Like, you don't, like, I come from places with lots of declined industry and, and such. And I think this is one of the things that helps his works endure is that he is taking these familiar places and exoticizing them. And making them like dark and sinister and, and and spooky, and so I think it's kind of endlessly appealing to have these stories set in these border spaces between like the wilds of New England and the expanse of the Atlantic Ocean, and then also the detritus of like decline and decay and places where progress was effectively halted. Where this gets really uh sticky is that so these are the tropes that are probably the easiest to decouple from lovecraft's racism in, in a lot of ways from his worldview but even they're not really because yeah. what he is describing in a lot of places is that like not only do places go bad but the people in them go bad and they go bad because of each other like the place goes bad but the people also start to go bad and they make it worse. And it's a vicious, it's a vicious uh, circle. And that is kind of Lovecraft's bread and butter, is that uh, places beca- can become morally degraded. And they, like, places don't just fall on hard times, but the people themselves become fallen. And I think it is very easy to indulge in that as well. Like, even if you're not depicting something that is like overtly racist, it's still very easy to take these tropes and make something that is overtly classist, uh, that is overtly um, like, and like, I guess, scientist anti-rural. Yeah, like okay. rural too, anti-rural, uh, for for sure. Uh, but more in the sense that like, oh, the rural is the place that like the pagans used to live, the heathens used to live there, and so like the the ancient knowledge uh, from you know in Lovecraft's view, people who don't even count as like full humans, right? Like that is the those are some of the things he's he's playing around with, um, and so I think it's tough to get that like. The good that that hit of what is fun and spooky and cool about Lovecraft, the you know gloomy forests uh, with you know rain dripping through the leaves and like all his writing, it is ponderous as hell. He is a ponderous writer, uh, but it is very descriptive. It is uh, very lurid and, and heavy-handed, but it's also very easy to take some of that stuff for inspiration. And end up making something that fundamentally is echoing Lovecraft's worldview, which is that, again, uh, people and places go bad together. Uh, That if there is a part of modern American society that gets forgotten and falls into hard times, that isn't because of anything that's fucked up about that society. That's because there's something fucked up about the people who live there. And there's always an other, right? right. Like the other yeah. is always like a huge part about his work. Cause like it's the 
the dimensional aspects, the othering. There, there's always a, an explanation. There's always a there's always a reason that is not on incumbent on you. There is an other, whether it is a cosmic being or whatever, that is responsible for the decay, the destruction, the ruining, and you can you can see how you can th- that why his thematic work like survives through the decades because the notion of othering as an explanation for the destruction of the status quo is an eternal, <laughs> you know, theme. Um, uh, so it, that stuff, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. But once you start deconstructing, once you look at his worldview and then you see the way he uses othering as a means of explaining rotten decay and a form of conservatism and, and against change, it's like, you know, his, his work goes from explicitly racist to being more like classist that like brings in elements of racism. Um, but you know, again, like he's not just racist. He was racist for the time, right? Like there's a certain amount of, uh, hand waving we can do in which like, it's the time people existed in, but like he was seen as a extreme, even for his, his era. Like when, when Rob jokes about reading what his cat was named, like go Google what his cat was named. Like, we can't say it on this podcast. Like, some of the poems he wrote about the origins of black people, like, go read that po- that poem. Like, some of that stuff is, like, it's genuinely, because I think when we think of what, oh, he was racist, you can, like, kind of gin up in your mind maybe what that means. But it's, like, the if way it's, it's like, wh- symbolic and, and, right. and you it's know. Just, oh, he just and, didn't and like black people. It's, like, abst- no. Abstracted. Like, this was, like, a man that spent a lot of fucking time thinking about the ways Black people, um, Spanish people, like Jews. across just immigrants in general, like people who yeah. non-white, like he he was a master race person. He wrote, uh, oh fucking, I just gotta read this goddamn, and I, I will get to you, Natalie, just a second. I'm sorry, I didn't did not mean to hijack your point, um, but uh, <laughs> let's see, da 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 da, oh, um, this is from this is from the essay I had uh, quoted earlier. Uh, he. Uh, his in this place, in, in this case, uh, Lovecraft. His sympathies with rising fascism, uh, fascism were equally transparent. "Quote: Hitler's vision is romantic and immature," he stated after Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. "I know he's a clown, but God, I like the boy." Um, so it's just, it's just, it's just. I just mean to underscore: there's racism, and then holy shit, there is, there, there is like Lovecraft, and he goes, he is, he was beyond the pale at the time that he existed, and 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 I, that's when. Once you see lines like that, once you say the, the, the explicit ways he talks about the dehumanization and the villainization of, of black people, it you, it's so hard to decouple that from the way he uses themes like otherism in his work. So, yeah. Natalie. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't have... I was just oh. kind of <laughs> chirping in into what you were saying about, you know, I think a lot of the time um, we are... It is easier to condone... Or maybe not to condone, condone, but to wave away racism in in literature that is masked by symbolism or that is masked by because we can we can conceive that there's something else to put in that other that we can conceive that 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 we can say classism or that we can say something else, but that classism is deeply rooted. Uh, the classism of of H.P. Lovecraft is deeply rooted, and I'm no fucking expert, so I'm just putting that out there. But is deeply rooted in uh uh the immigrants and so uh that are like entering these these uh new england spaces and so when rob you're talking about sort of this exoticizing it is it is coupled with an like an exotic peoples that an exoticizing of the the space itself the environment it 
seems to me to be also coupled with the the exoticizing of the peoples uh, uh, coming in or becoming present, becoming known here. Um, but to see H.P. Lovecraft be so um, unabashedly unrelenting in his just absolute disdain for anyone non-Aryan. Um, Basically, yeah, that is the right phrasing of that, like non-Aryan. Like, he's proud yeah. of it. Like, he's yeah. proud of it in a way that is, like, some, <laughs> some people masked it. Like, Lovecraft did no, not mask it. Absolutely not. <laughs> but his and, work and, masks it. And, and so it's like, ch- you only engage with his work, you can, and you don't know about the history, it's easy to see why all sorts of people fall in love with just the themes without understanding what those themes were, were built upon or might be saying. Right. And, and... I I want to challenge that because I think it is not so hard to see the the racist foundations behind uh uh the idea of the monster uh that Lovecraft um propagates and th- that it is an an unknown and other uh a, a, a shadowy figure like the, these are it is not that hard to make that jump and so to to ignore it and to not think critically of it, I think is being a little careless in in your consumption of of the tropes themselves, um, especially when looking at like hybrid monsters, when looking at monsters that are half human, half tentacle. You know, when he talks about sort of the change and the metamorphosis and and the combining, like that is so obviously talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, uh people of mixed race and of different races you know uh, uh copulating together and and having generations of mixed races races or whatever um it is so obvious to me and maybe it's obvious to me because uh i being half latina having like reading this it is it is obvious that there is that behind it. Like it is, it is impossible for me to ignore um, because I see it in, I can see it in plain writing and I can see it in the, in the symbolism. Um, So I don't know. I just, I have a hard time just, just sort of uh, even accepting the most symbolic of, of Lovecraft's uh, uh, ideas. Well, and like, it's, it's actually pretty hard. Like, Patrick, like, if you start reading these things a little more, like, it's so front and center. Even in, so, Dunwich Horror is an interesting one because this is one that's like, in, like, there's no outward racial component to it. Like, it's it's described as a town that's sort of like time forgot, and it's an old waspy uh, northern like Massachusetts town. But he's like, but they became degraded and declined in there. Like, and it's whatever, it's all is bullshit. But the way he describes that is like really specific about the way their like facial features are changing. Uh, like, you know, skull shit. Like, it's, it's fucking like he, the minute he's like, how do I show this town is going to hell in a handbasket? Like, he is rushing out there with the phrenology calipers, being like, <laughs> well, let me tell you about how degraded these people have become. Uh, and so it, like, it's amazing to me that this stuff is, um, is, Maybe not better known, but I guess not because here's here's the other thing though. I think so much of this is consumed secondhand. 
or third hand. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I think that's the influence true. of Lovecraft is most of people's consumption of Lovecraft. It is very rarely like there are not major theatrical adaptations in the last twenty years of Lovecraft's work. The closest was Gabriel Del Toro trying to do um, at the Mountains of Madness. It didn't happen. Um, but like he his his work is everywhere. It's just right. It's second hand in which those creatives have stripped away a lot of that stuff and are largely just leveraging the aesthetic, right? It's yeah. just leveraging the aesthetic of Lovecraft. It's why Cthulhu is, you know, and, and, and you know, sort of like crustacean fish imagery is is prevalent or like, out, you know, cosmic horror in general. But like, it's all secondhand. Like, the, from beyond, like, the adaptation is an, that's an 80s B-movie. It's it's not like a serious engagement with his with his work. Um, and so, Which yeah, I think, you're, say I think you're right, Rob. Yeah. Right? It does. Yeah. Like, why, why aren't we quoting Lovecraft himself when we talk about Lovecraftian shit? We're, qu- we're quoting other things. We're quoting other books or other movies or other games that use his shit. So why, like, mm. it, it, that should be a red flag in of itself. And oh, yeah. Well, how much of that is because Lovecraft, one thing he did do, was he created, uh, we call it the Cthulhu mythos or whatever, but he like more than that, he created kind of a fictional universe. And if there is one thing that, uh, you know, modern media, but particularly games of every stripe, love, it is a world with tons of world building that's already been done and tons of settings and interconnected bullshit you can pull in. And so like, yeah, you could make a you know, horror, you can make a horror themed board game. You mm-hmm. may, and there are, there's plenty of them, but like <laughs> one reason that Arkham horror became so popular is because it pulls in all of this shit. Like it is like, it is a game that is referencing all these different stories and all of these monsters that, uh, Lovecraft sort of ties together and creates in this larger, like, um, almost Tolkien esque, uh, world of like monsters and madness and uh, elder gods and I think that is one reason for its enduring popularity is because like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is just the one book it's the one story but there's not like for, like a universe yeah they tried right the dark universe they're there's like no MCU yeah. <laughs> they were like uh well we can somehow tie together all these they random... opened the mummy with a dark universe logo you yep. have to watch that movie it is yep. astounding so it so yeah so that is that shit fucking craters because these things do stand alone they, they're self-contained works uh you you can't like go in there. There's no Silmarillion that Mary Shelley wrote to be like. So here's <laughs> let me tell you about where Doctor Frankenstein went to school and his crazy yeah. teacher. Like you don't get that. But Lovecraft is there with just like an endless buffet of settings mm. and sources and references, and that is hard to pass up. Well, there are two things that are interesting. When I was reading through like his biography, one. His work is largely in the public domain. So, like, that's a huge, like, component of, like, that stuff kind of slithering its way into different places. Two, he was sort of an early, like, he encouraged other writers to incorporate references to his work, to to take, uh, you know, things like Cthulhu. Like, he wanted his work to be in other things that weren't, like, collaborations. He was just, he just wanted to see his work Extremely referenced elsewhere. Awful. So, like... 
He was a good yeah. marketer. <laughs> um, you know, I did. This is blind. You know, again, like in my in my piece, I spoke to my blind ignorance on the sort of influence of of Lovecraft on things that I was consuming that I didn't even realize were Lovecraftian. I did not know the Necronomicon was Lovecraft. I just didn't know. Like, I you know, I knew it wasn't invented in the Evil Dead, but I just I didn't know where it came from. I just never did the research on it. I had no fucking clue that was him until like, until this week. Um, I think stuff like that speaks to like he he as an author knew that it was worthwhile to have his work referenced. And that, like, the fact that it went to the public domain, mostly through, like, a loop of, like, he did, his will was fucked up. Like, that was not his intention at the end, was for that to just go all public domain. But I think you can see some some through lines there between, like, encouraging authors to, to reference his work, his work becoming public domain. And then that way, like, it just exists, like, weirdly in, like, sort of this other dimension where it's being plucked from without explicitly referenced in a way that some people are doing, um, you know, knowingly. And I think there are, in a lot of ways, it's being used in a culture unknowingly um, without people understanding, like, the full consequences of of taking from it. That in America is racist. <laughs> like, yeah. a lot of these things are resonating on a level where maybe people aren't actively saying, like, I hate X, Y, or Z, but it's resonating with white, you know, with, with white people. It resonated with white people a hundred years ago when he was writing this stuff. Like, it's very of a piece, I think, with uh, Puritanism and conservatism. And frankly, New England is a very weird place that, that you know, Rob, you were talking about this a little bit in its sort of physical attributes, but socially, New England is a place where indigenous people lived. And then here come a bunch of basically white hyper-conservatives. These were Puritans who came over from, you know, from England and they took over and did all this other stuff. This is a very, very, very Puritan place. It was a Puritan land that then became sort of industrialist. And you see this in the whaling as well, which is actually directly referenced in the game as well. Like whaling towns were often some of the, the greatest and, and most like moneyed whaling towns were deeply Quaker, the most religious people, the most utterly, you know, God faring stiff upper lip, blue-blooded New Englanders who were getting rich off of whaling were so very religious and so very conservative. And uh, the incredibly bloody and truly horrifying practice of whaling, which if you know anything about it, it's, it's really, it's some grim horror movie type shit. Um, it was a major industry in New, in New England for many, many years. It was like big ass moneymaker uh, in a lot of these places. So a lot of this stuff is stirring in the sort of public consciousness of this place, of these six weird, odd little states that all have their own state governments, even though the entire place is only the size of, what, like a quarter of California, something like that. Uh, it's it's really a truly profoundly weird place and a profoundly racist place like the rest of America. And I think there is some of that happening on that symbolic level where it's like, no, it's just resonating with the racism that kind of we all have in America, that we kind of always did have in America, that was maybe even more front and center at certain points in history, but is absolutely still there. So that's that's a part of this that I have a really hard time with sort of confronting on my own as I'm like enjoying this game and laughing at this game and laughing at these accents and having this time of my fucking life and sitting here kind of like, it's not even just... Lovecraft himself, the virulent racist. It's also the Lovecraftian tropes that are racist. And it's also the sort of New Englandness that I grew up steeped in, even though I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Uh, it's still there. It's still permeating the air. It's still in all the 
brick buildings and so on and so forth for sure so that's a point i guess that's a grim and sad and somewhat resonant point i suppose to bring up and bring to bear here i mean you know this is one of the things i was wrestling with when you know i guess when we it sounds like something you're wrestling with too danielle is like okay so what does it mean then to also to all those qualifiers we've had this big conversation about lovecraft and it's like all right i still like mostly enjoyed my time with that game um and it's like, well, what do we do with that? Like, where do like, how do you, how do you either justify that? How do you qualify that? How do you like sit with that? You know, I mean, you know, I think the very basis in my mind is to like be educated on that stuff. Like, know, like know the work that you are engaging with. Like, to to more readily identify and understand like how it's being used. I think that's like a really once you have the like, if you didn't know who what Lovecraft's work was based on or what his worldview was, well, once you know. It you know it should be on you to to engage with that and try and learn what you can so that when you're engaging with work that is either specifically his or on the periphery of his or influenced by by him that you can go in with that knowledge um, and then you know so I you know maybe it's I maybe it's not great but I found myself feeling okay with playing through that game um, um, I'm not sure if everyone will fall that same way but I, I found myself okay with separating those two things yeah i mean i think it it can be easier to to make that separation when it is presented without like if you just see the the image of the tentacle monster or you're uh just in the the new england setting um where i think it's because those those or, or the necro what is it necromonium necronomicon ne- necronomicon like those are just being placed like the like you said before like the aesthetic is just being presented without box. any exactly without like as a reference without any sort of context or without any sort of treatment um and so i think when that treatment is given it is important to first of all i think they should be treated in the first place and then <laughs> right yeah uh, when when that treatment is given, I think it's important to be conscious of, you know, okay, is the game saying something about, you know, uh, uh, when you see uh, mutations happen, when you see sort of like the in between, when when an other is introduced, like who is being an, imagined as this other? Like I think is it is really important not to be careless. Um, as a developer with with the the pool of tropes that you're pulling from and also as the player to be conscious of okay as as I am participating in this what is my play saying here like what is my play saying as I move through this world that comes from this this person right um so I I I would just encourage people to to ask those questions to to see how how uh being informed of the of the the person himself um changes the way that you uh find these experiences to to happen. Well, when, when, when a reference is dropped, you have a better context of like what that how the reference is being used, and I think that's like useful, like regardless of how the 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 product itself or the art itself is deploying it, right? So it's like Call of Cthulhu is a very 
functional referential use of of Lovecraft and the, the Cthulhu sort of arc. Um, it's not yeah. trying to do anything deeper, but that doesn't. Yeah. It's it's still worth. It is worth understanding because because it that like there are ways that like that game could be using it in in explicitly or uh, I guess more implicitly racist ways that it's not even aware of because maybe exactly. the, the people putting it together weren't aware of how they were deploying it. And so it's useful for you to at least have the knowledge of like, so you can recognize that and like call it for what it is, even if what you're coming to the work for is like, I just want sp- sp- spooky tentacle yeah, monsters. Enjoyment. And like, yeah. I'm cool with that. And like that, that is okay. But it's just, it is, oh, it is, it is worth having that full knowledge so that you know the consequences of the work that you're engaging with to, 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 for as much as you can do. It is okay. But again, I'll just re- reiterate that it is harder to ignore when you are the one being critiqued in that aesthetic. Yeah, like no, fair. Being, like being specifically mixed race, like being uh, uh, a person of color, being uh, Jewish, being any of the things that fucking H.V. Lovecraft Anything thought were disgusting. Anything other than a white person. Then specifically an Aryan, yeah, specifically Aryan. Yeah, Um, wasn't into Catholics either. This guy. Yeah, so So. it just and I and like extreme heads up. The 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 stuff I read was so deeply uh, uh, upsetting uh, of his writing that is like more explicit, and and so yeah, I just it it is. It is hard to ignore, but being conscious of it may, it kind of makes me feel like I have sort of like a uh, almost an added layer of, of security and like self uh, protection when I like go into these spaces or like go into these games because I feel like, okay, I know what the fuck is going on. Like you're not going to pull one out on me. Like I, right. I, I'm navigating the space with a, like with a consciousness, with an awareness and I like I, I feel uh that I can be sharper and 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 more cognizant of of what's around me so you I can think call that, call bullshit for bullshit when you see it yeah exactly yeah. exactly um yeah I I couldn't agree more and it, this is this is one of those discussions where it's like I think the stronger choice is to say fuck you fuck you Lovecraft and the stronger choice is to say hey fuck these tropes um if you're going to use I them, still, subvert them, right? Right. Like, if you're going to use them, subvert them. Be smart about it. Do be smart about how you're how you're approaching this. Be at least give me some subversion. Give me some sign of life uh, that is you know kind of going on under the surface there. Give me some sign of of that. Like I, I it's it's so complicated to 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 wrestle with some of this in terms of like oh enjoying a game, enjoying the game on its merits, even if, if the game itself is not technically the most impressive thing in the universe, and also being upset about these things and aware of these things and and not wanting to give myself the excuse not wanting to you know get off the hook and be like well this is fine i mean like i I, you know the cemetery where lovecraft is buried is a block away from the house i grew up in and people would actually come around like in halloween like nerdy white boys would come around and be like where's swamp point cemetery and it would be like a, a thing this is like a thing of forever in my life that i've always sort of been like you, maybe you shouldn't go there. <laughs> maybe, maybe you just go read something else, dude. Um, maybe they're gonna spit on his grave. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's possible. That's possible. That is true. That's a good point. It's like it is. <laughs> it is what not. it is. What Rob says at the end of every waypoints. Do not yeah. give in to astonishment. Yes. Bang! Wow. Right. Dramatic yes. overlap. Yes. 
Natalie like, Watson, I am impressed. Don't accept, and it is what we talked about in, in Red Dead Redemption today. Like, don't accept the spectacle for what it is. Like, don't, don't just, don't just, don't be so super, like, you are deeper than that. You can think, you can think more deeply than that. Everyone can think more deeply than that. The spectacle is dazzling. It's beautiful. It's entertaining. It's enjoyable. But when there are real world implications all around you, it is important to also have the second thought. Like you can have the first thought. You can be like, hey, this is really fun. I've had I had that like during the the purge series where I watched certain scenes and I was like, hey, this is a really fun scene. And as I'm talking, I'm like, actually, <laughs> you this had fucking it in real sucks. time when we Every- talked about the the uh, uh, the final like the final in the sequence first of episode. the first movie where I you mean, were like, the yo, that was super fucking satisfying. And then we played the clip and I was like, huh? Hmm. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, you know, actually, I fucking take that back immediately <laughs> yeah. because that scene fucking sucked. Well, that's because that's where the, that what what you were saying, the idea of like the first time you watch it was the spectacle, right? Yeah, where it's the exactly. Where it's like, where it's just fucking, the, yeah, she hit yeah. that woman and it felt good. And then the second time you watch it, it was like, oh, wait, it's like more closely examine what this scene means. And that's exactly what you're saying is like, yeah. allow yourself to have, you can have that enjoyment, but then like in- interrogate your reaction yeah. and and how you felt that way. And I think, and that's also like, uh, I think Call of Cthulhu as a, as a game is, is disappointing in its cowardice over engaging with like Lovecraft as, as a person and the implication of his work, because I think there were way, like, I think at this point, if you're going to invoke him and especially if you're going to invoke, you're not, just, it's not just referential. It's not just like influenced by, it is taking of his work wholesale it is then cowardice to not engage with that, to critique it, to incorporate him and what his worldview uh, is, and that's why I'm super curious about like the Sunken City, the next thing coming out. Like, is this also going to be one that like on that avoids one. that? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> A lot of fish people on that one. I'm nervous. Right. Um, whereas, like, as I mentioned in the review, like, they're I'm I, their HBO is doing this show in collaboration with Jordan Peele. He's a producer on it. He's not like writing or directing it, but um, which is called Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraft Country which it's a road trip movie um, during the Jim Crow era. And it's like, all right, so this is a show that is going to say, fuck, if we're going to do Lovecraft, like, we're going to do Lovecraft in, like, a more modern lens. And so I don't know how that show will be. I don't know if it'll be any good. But it's like that seems like a more thoughtful alternative way to, like, in 2018 think about Lovecraft is, like, okay, like, if you're going to do it, like, you should do it. And and you, you, you the, the idea of not acknowledging you know, the critique of his work, like I said, is a form of cowardice. And actually you could maybe find something interesting if you start weaving that into the work itself. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I think we need to take a quick break. I've, I've let things go too long. We've just been so passionately in discussion about these topics. Uh, there's probably going to be an ad here. I'm not sure. You're not sure. Who Who's to say? say? Who, who knows, really? Uh, so we'll be right back. Uh, with a few last points and then a the quickest little dip into uh, the question bucket. So we'll be right back. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Wow, that was an ad. Probably. Or not. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Rob, I know you you wanted to respond to some of that. uh... Yeah, I I have complicated feelings about this because sometimes... Talk to me, Rob. uh, Will do, Natalie. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Look, sometimes I just want my fucking theme park. I just want it dressed up in this fucking costume and I want people to be like, don't go up to the old whatever place. Dark things happened there. Ya townie or something like that. I don't know. Like, like sometimes. Ya shyster. Yeah, you, you shyster. Like, sometimes I want that. Sometimes I, sometimes I want a place that is just evocative of the smell of the tidewaters. Uh, of New England and just the like pervasive gloom of the region. And I just, and I don't need that work to be freighted with a ton of reflection on its origins. Like, the, you know what I mean? Like, I do not need Call of Cthulhu. I really do not need Call of Cthulhu to be the game that's like, you know, it's critical that I start, that this game start unpacking uh its own origins and <laughs> historical context like i also don't i don't want to see that game try to do it honestly no, but <laughs> so like i think and that might be and the thing is that might be an incredibly lazy and self-serving response it might be uh but i think right. there's also something to be said for not every piece of media uh needs to or should or is equipped to be that critical work uh, to 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 be that that interrogating work, I think that that is on that that is on you uh, as, as an audience member. But the other thing that I'm sort of re- wrestling with here is, but why do I like the tropes in the first place? And this is this is the other part of it yeah. is the it is worth reflecting not even more so than maybe on on the works themselves that you enjoy. But why do you enjoy them? Like, what is being serviced here? Like, why is it for me that I find stigmas against uh, people, like, stigmas against, like, mental health issues are terrible and offensive? And yet, if there is, like, a piece of media that's, like, set in just the worst eras of understanding and treating those issues, right? Like fit like trope I find creepy and scary and largely successful for me is like the old 19th century, um, you know, insane asylum, right? The white coats, the, yeah. uh, the, the cruelty, the, the barbarism of it. I find that incredibly effective. I'm not saying I seek out media like that, but when that stuff is deployed, I tend to be like, Ooh, that's, that's scary. That that really got me. That's this is this is creepy. And at that point, 
I need to think about why that is. Like, that's the thing I, like, that reaction is the thing that I become more concerned about, right? Like, okay, like, what, like, what level is that hitting you on? Is it hitting you on the level of you can sympathize with the person who is thrust into that situation and mistreated and abused under the guise of, like, perverted and twisted, uh, like, science? Uh, or is it that on some level you have still some sort of outdated, like, subconscious response to these issues that makes the horror of the 19th century madhouse more effective to you? And that's the other thing that, when I look at media with these sort of complicated origins and the trades in these kinds of problematic tropes, these things persist for a reason, and a lot of times there's parts of them that I will allow myself to enjoy. And the thing that I find myself increasingly like thoughtful about or concerned about or reflecting on is why? Like, why, why, why does that story speak to me? And mm. I don't know, man. Like, that's some deep level stuff like that record like you can introspect but like do you get answers about who you are and like what what is driving you it's it's tough it it, ta- it takes a long time but those questions are something i find myself increasingly returning to um no but at least you're asking the questions yeah. and i do well, think but, but is it like rob's point though that like it's easy to say i'm asking these questions about myself but i'm also going to keep enjoying that thing right like so it's like that's like the thing you're wrestling with is like it's even if you're asking yourself why are you enjoying it it's also then easy to use that as an excuse to then yeah. allow yourself to keep yeah. enjoying it. But but I do think it's also, like, but I think if you start wondering if the answer is going to be a bad one, you know what I mean? If, right. like, oh, what I enjoy here. When you start realizing, like, oh, the enjoyment of, my enjoyment of this is because on some level, I enjoy stories that trade on the fears and dreads of an early 20th century race scientist. Like, when you realize that, like, oh, shit, I'm enjoying the shit out of this thing that fundamentally is saying that the other is creepy and deformed and bad and must be, like, when you start to realize, like, if, if you sort of start having those realizations, it's time to, like, pull the fuck out uh, because the enjoyment itself is going to be deeply, deeply poisoned. That becomes something you've kind of got to uh, sort of reflect on and expunge from yourself because, like... That is, that's the poisonous part. And I think that's the stuff that worries me about the ongoing deployment of tropes like this is that mm-hmm. at best, I'm like, sometimes I just want the aesthetic. Sometimes I love that spooky New England bullshit. The part of me that worries is <laughs> that that's not the only thing people are pulling from it. That on some level, they're getting the subtext mm-hmm. that, uh, is sort of laced into the the settings and stories that uh, Lovecraft wrote, right? Like even if the even yeah. if the things that inspired they're inspired by Lovecraft are not out there using his incredibly like racist and loaded language, if they're still deploying the tropes and the aesthetics, what other coded messages are in there that are speaking to people that may not immediately be obvious? Right, like it's it's like you're pulling it's like you're pulling a, like an, an audio sample, and there's a dog whistle yeah. in it, and you don't know. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think, I that's, think that's a terrifying thing. Like, hundred percent is that that 
that it is working for people that that it, it is uh ugh, i don't know <laughs> natalie's having an existential crisis after rob <laughs> we walked through this <laughs> yeah i don't know it, that, that's what scares me <laughs> It's super fucking scary. Like what what terrifies me is sitting down with my friends and watching or playing some some fucking Cthulhu shit and then being like, haha, this fucking rocks. And then me being the one sitting there like I am deeply uncomfortable with who you are now. Like or or that it is me that it is me sitting there and being like, haha, this rocks and 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 being like uncomfortable with myself for for feeling that way um and that's why I think just I think having the second thought is so important and I and I think you're right Robin saying that I don't trust creators to necessarily make that insight every single time these things are presented like I I don't know if it's like I think it is more on the audience or more on the player who is investing themselves in 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 the game well i'd like to hold creators accountable too but if i'm holding i i'd like to hold players more accountable because the enjoyment there it it is very easy to take it at face value um and it is uh but also like if you're making if you're constantly coming up to a confrontation with something that makes you uncomfortable, if your enjoyment is making you uncomfortable, like you have to just fucking pull that plug eventually. Like if your enjoyment of something (laughs) is making you constantly uncomfortable, making someone you care about constantly uh, uncomfortable, sacrifice that enjoyment. Like that enjoyment is not so precious and so unique to this thing in like, in my opinion, I, in, enjoyment can be found in many different places and the fact that you find it here does not make the loss of it like so significant like that that enjoyment will be fulfilled by something else um and so sometimes i think it is okay to to let some things we enjoy go because they are deeply problematic uh to the point of of non-reconciliation uh, we, uh, my wife and I, like, you know, as big horror buffs, like, you encounter shit like this constantly, like, where, like, horror is just, just ripe, full of, of bullshit, where you're trying to figure out where you can or can't draw lines, because all sorts of horror is, is mired in uh, misogyny and racism, and, and, and also it's like, where do you, where do you draw the lines, or do you just say, oh, well, all, all horror is problematic, and it's so, I, you can't draw any lines, like, because it's all kind of fucked. And it's like one of the ones that we drew years ago um, um, was like it was fun. It was viscerally fun to watch revenge flicks, right? Where someone, mm. a thing happens to them and then they are justified in just enacting pure rage against people who fucking deserve it. And like there that taps into like a very visceral part of like your core. And it was enjoyable on some level to watch those films but the vast majority of those films the vast majority of those films are premised on like a woman being raped and then enacting that among her 
male captors or whoever. And, uh, and none of them, almost none of them, engage in any sort of meaningful, like, commentary or subversion. It's just, that's the trope. And then she gets to go right. murder these dudes. And it was just like, I'm fucking done. Like, this this is not a, it's not a genre I need in my life. Whatever the, the rage part of it, like, the, the, the visceral nature of, like, the revenge, revenge part is yeah. not... It's not worth it. It's not worth it because it's basically every time I boot this up, you, I just have to sit through and suffer. Like, And that's part, like, that's the construction of the trope is you suffer through this visually arresting thing so that you can get to the thing that is, like, quote-unquote satisfying. It's just, it's not. It's just, like, I just took it out. Like, now, there are occasions, like, I uh, there will be films that have, there's a film from the last 18 months called Revenge that, like, is explicitly about subverting that. And that movie is, like, fairly successful at doing that. And, like, but I sought that out after reading, like, commentary about that film but otherwise i just subtracted that as a just don't watch those movies that deal explicitly in the revenge trope because it just was like i i can't enjoy this anymore the things i like about it are i'm not enjoying anymore because all the other bullshit associated with it just drags the whole thing down for me yeah that made a girl with a dragon tattoo a little uh complex in many ways uh, certainly rob i know you had a point um, I'm not sure I did, uh, but I can take one. Um, I, I think. <laughs> like, I saw a hand. I don't on, know. On the other hand, um, no, I don't have a point. I don't have a good one. I'm sorry. I failed. <laughs> I'm glad you can admit it, Rob. Though, because as, sometimes as someone I just want to watch my switch of the week. <laughs> you know. Look, trying to justify uh, you know, the ethics of watching football is a whole nother podcast, Rob. It is. I could I could come on and talk about MMA. A little, I'm sure. Just a little tiny bit. I am completely there. unproblematic and I live above <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Natalie has viewing parties and tells her friends they are canceled. <laughs> oh! I would not do that. Cancel culture is toxic. But you know what, though, I will say this. Um, I actually, that is toxic, but I actually do wish it were easier to just fucking blow people up for some of their choices without necessarily, like, for instance, years and years ago, um, a friend of mine, a woman of color, like, we were watching, um, we were watching West Wing, and she's like, yo, this show seems pretty racist. Mm. I was like, what? No. No. <laughs> the show's liberal as hell, man. No, the show's great. And and she's like, yeah, the show's pretty good. But every, like, black character on the show is, like, a disaster. And even the way, like, they're directed just seems, like, really bad. And I was just like, no, that can't be. Like, no. How... Because... This show I love, if it racist, is me racist? Like that. And that was very, and the, and the answer, and the answer was the show spoke to prejudices that I didn't realize I had. You know what I mean? Like that there were, there were right. blind spots. And so this shit yeah. that like Aaron Sorkin thought was cool flew right under my radar because like I thought it was cool too. And I was not grateful to somebody who knew better pointing out to me that this shit was fucked. Until a while later, when like, but that's stuck in my ear. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't not see it. It was like somebody being like, "This is fucked up," and I was like, "No, 
no. And then every scene, I'm like, huh, wait, though. That's a weird way to put that. That character doesn't speak like that. Why was he, why did he talk like, why did he deliver that line that way? And like, once I saw it, I couldn't not see it. And so I think there is value in, I don't know, like more critical media discussions, right? Like, it's okay to like be sitting there on movie night and being like, yeah, the movie's all right. But are you aware, like, of some of the things it's trafficking in? Like, did you, like, let's go back to the, let's roll the tape. Because uh, I think that is a useful exercise. And I think it's a a safer place to discuss these issues. Like, because you can see it, it's a referent object. You can see it and discuss it and, like, dissect it rather than have sort of um, a sort of vague and abstract discussion, if that makes any sense. Um so, like, thanks, Call yeah. of Cthulhu, for helping us uh, facilitate this discussion. I mean, it's true. I don't know. I I don't know what would have what maybe the sunken city we would have gotten gotten around to it anyway. But like, I'm thankful that I have like a better understanding of Lovecraft as a creator, and I I wouldn't have you know if not having played this, and then you know our decision to have a discussion around it. So like, I'm 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 glad that I know more about him than I did before. Yes, absolutely. I was going to take a quick dip in the bucket, but you know, I think we actually we we poured the bucket over. I mean, we we went deep into a different bucket today, uh, and I'm I'm very happy. And we solved ethical media with our explorations. You know what? All right. You really no did. letters needed. Folks. You can now watch. It. I think we nailed it. We're all agreed here, right? You don't need letters. <laughs> Comment bucket. All right. Wait. I'll do one really cute, quick one. All right. Okay. One cute, quick one from Daniel in L.A. If Waypoint did a group Halloween costume as the characters of The Haunting of Hill House, who would be who? Obviously, Papa Bear would be the dad, but old or young. And we get to decide because Austin's not here. I think, well, I think I haven't watched nearly a show question to for, answer that question. That's a, just a Danielle question, I think. Um, I am definitely. Oh, you know, Natalie, you watched it too. That's right. Yeah, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, I am one hundred percent now because I like talk to my mom about this actually because my mom watched it too, and Nell and I, baby now, and I are so similar in what I was like when Aww. I was younger. Like I, I like down to like what I looked like. I looked like a lot like like super pouty lips and super long hair, but also just the way I sort of like Nell and uh, 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 Luke as their kids is very much me and my brother me and my brother are like basically twins Aww. we're like a year and a, uh, uh, a year and 361 days apart we always used to say because that's how long but yeah so that's i That's exactly how far apart myself and my sister are. That was very cute. We're four it. days apart in terms of our birthdays and the two yeah sorry. We're very weird. powerful. Sorry. It's very powerful. Very powerful connection. Um <laughs> so yeah, i decided i would be now from the get go and i claim her. I'm gonna be Theo, of course. Of course, I'm gonna be Theo. I could also be Shirley. I could do like costume changes between Theo and Shirley. <laughs> That's like I can handle that. I don't I, think I, Austin I, would fellas. be Papa Bear. On, I mean, <laughs> hold on. I don't think Austin I mean, would be he's the dad. Papa Bear. I know, but I don't think he would right. be the dad. Honestly, I don't think so. Because the dad is it doesn't take the. I think he would be. More of he's the a mom. bad dad. He's a bad 
post yeah, that yeah. post trauma at the house. He just becomes post-trauma. a bad. And even like in, Austin's closer to the mom than the yeah. Dad. That's what I was yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Is like I think yeah. because the mom like hears uh, uh, Theo's like uh, ability to like feel things and stuff like that, and like takes it seriously and like like gives her advice on how to move through life with that sort of sensitivity. And so I feel like Austin's more aligned to that aspect of the mom, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Not also everyone fits perfectly into into characters, but... Was, was right. role, like right. the, this is more you know, of a personality thing. Well, the, we don't get... Not a lot of options here on the guy front, you know, other than the, unless you're going to split up Steve between young Steve and old Steve, because no one wants to be fucking old Steve. Yeah, fuck old <laughs> <No>. Steve. <laughs> like, old Steve is bad. Young Steve seems cool. He seems like he wants to help. Seems yeah, like he, wants he to be just wants to You know, to I'll jump go. on the old Steve grenade. I'm just going to do it. I'm going <laughs> to jump on it. I'm going to be like, wow. yo, let me tell you about your experiences you're having and give you a rational explanation for why they're not real. Uh, and yeah what I do is sketchy and I enjoy writing these books that sort of misrepresent things and I probably shouldn't be doing it but I'm gonna let myself off the hook cause fuck it don't do it Rob have that second thought don't just take <laughs> old Steve do not old give Steve in to astonishment separate the art from the artist in Lovecraft for sure that's what he does that's what old Steve does for sure and he takes uh, a big advance <laughs> oh Oh boy, Patrick, do you have a? I don't know. I'm, I I was going through like I didn't have imaginary friends as a kid, so I was trying. I was thinking young Luke because he just seems like a nice young boy. Um, Wait, who's the brother who shows up to rip I off didn't... Steve? To rip off Steve? Luke. Luke. In the opening oh, episode. This is the only yeah, episode Luke. I've seen. To so steal? I'm just like I'm like. Oh, I could see drug addict. It's really Luke good. Too. I would te- definitely steal from Steve too. That's the thing. I would love to steal from that guy. Well, yeah, but that's... <laughs> yeah, I do that. Fuck there Steve. is ethical consumption under stealing from Steve. <laughs> he steals yes. people's stories. You can steal from Steve. Yeah, fucking blood True. money. He does. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know. I'll go, with, I'll go with young Luke. I think, even though I can't, I can't I think, think of Patrick, a you would be. I think you would be... Uh, what's her name? Cheryl. What's her name, Cheryl? What's her name? Shirley? Shirley. Shirley. Yeah, you would own a funeral home. Cool. Because you're spooky like that. It's a pretty good job. Because <laughs> you're into that kind of shit. True. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's an alternate universe where I take my interest in horror and just adapt it literally to my mm, life and career. I'm a coward sure. too. I'll... I would probably definitely like flee from the house and leave my wife behind. <laughs> and then be like, "Don't worry, kids. It, <laughs> no, was, he got it was the right out. choice." Oh, so you would be the dad? Yeah. Maybe. That's what. Yep. I don't there know. There it is. We gotta stop. We gotta stop this podcast where we learn. It might more be the about house. Yeah, we really do. How they refer- <laughs> you could be Rob's the house. The house. Oh, you're the house. the house. You're the house. I decided. No, Rob would Called be the. Uh, Rob would be the, the the tall man. Who's the tall man? Oh no! The tall man. Wait, he doesn't know yet. He's got a big hat. Oh yeah, I don't want. I don't want to spoil it. It's He's been a big too hat. soon. But like you know, man. have you seen the Have you seen the the whole show, uh, Natalie? Yeah. Oh, but I mean. Well, I don't want to say it here. Well, off to you know. I guess that's Rob not all leave bad. so we can talk. No, <laughs> we got to leave. We got. We all have to leave. This podcast has to end. We've podcasted for. We have to leave. For some of us, we have podcasted for nearly four hours today. Yeah, time to go. Yep, that is. That's a lot of podcast. All right. On that note, uh, if you have questions, uh, you can send those to gaming at vice dot com with the subject question. Shoutouts to Two Mellow 
for the track Bump This off of Trunk Fiction. You can check out his music and musings at, at MellowMix on Twitter and his tracks at 2, numeral 2, 2 mellowmixbandcampcom We're on Twitter at Waypoint. We're on Facebook at Waypoint Vice. We're on YouTube at Waypoint Vice. We're on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Waypoint. And you can read everything we do at waypoint.vice.com. Patrick slash Young Luke, uh, where can we find you? No, oh, I'm Old Shirley. I, I own a funeral home now. Uh, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Young Luke slash that's Old okay. Shirley. That's, that's right. Sorry. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Patrick Colbert. <laughs> awesome. Uh, young Nell, where can we find you? Damn, Young Nell. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> Dropping an LP next week. <laughs> young Nell, I'm about to be talking about some monsters, about... <laughs> I'm about to be appearing in your in your apartments, Young Nell. <laughs> Mixtape's about to be hot. Good. Um, Good. You can find me on the internet at Natalie Watson. Wonderful. Uh, this old house, where can we find you? At Rob Zachney. Awesome. And you can find me, uh, and remember, I am Theo, uh, at Danielle R.I. <laughs> Thank you all so much for bearing with us, listening to our podcast. Appreciate you. And as always, as we close out this weekend, I'd like to say be good and be good at When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.